And we're live with our 90th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I don't know when uh, Ken and I started this little show that we ever thought we'd get to 90 episodes, so that's pretty cool, right? Um, this week, we are both uh, social distancing, um, even more so than normal, apparently, <laughs> right? <That's>, uh, <laughs> again, I mean, as much as we laugh about it, right? Like, we've been geared for this life for years, right? We've been preparing, and, you know, it's here, so... <laughs> Preparing uh, for this our whole lives. Our whole lives, right? That's why we didn't have a guest on today. We we heard that there is a possibility that it spreads over uh, you know, YouTube live or you know, whatever. So we're we're practicing that theory out, right, Ken? That's it. Dude, Patrick must be loving this. Maybe not, but he gets out of school and he's like basically a mini Ron Swanson as it is, so he <laughs> must really be like, I don't know. It's been it's been interesting because he's a I mean he's a teenager he's in those like early teen years where friends yeah. are super important right and so yeah he he seems to go up and down um, yeah you know I, I mean I'm sure you know Colin like the younger one is more like Max he's just living his best life and you know <laughs> screens and games and you know yeah Max and then, yeah, Max. We're so I think I mentioned this this morning. We're gonna like tune it up a bit, but right now, um, yeah, like right now, Max he gets up at sometimes two p.m. and then <laughs> like, which is I say sometimes like most days two p.m. Then he plays video games pretty much the majority of the time until I'm off work, and then now because I don't have anything to do after work. Like normally I do the, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu most nights a week. Um, don't have that. So uh, now we're teaching him how to ride a bike and nice. it's going, but it's difficult. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have three kids. I have one. And so I've only ever taught my brother to ride a bike, my little brother. Uh, so like teaching him is not. They have glider bikes now. Did you have a glider? I don't think I had glider bikes when when I was a kid. They didn't have. No, no, that, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't have it. It was yeah. It was like you got thrown on, and it wasn't even training wheels, right? It was just like I remember falling over, and yeah. I mean, yeah. And by but, the way, yeah, Seth kids. and I haven't been able to catch up. Y'all are going to just have to listen to us catch up. <laughs> Woohoo! Welcome to the quarantine edition of. <laughs> Seth and Ken maybe talking about applic- application security at some point right? or maybe. something related to it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, but like yeah. there were no glider bikes. It was just like you get going and then you fall and then you yep. get going and then you fall and then eventually you get going and you're not falling anymore. And then you've <laughs> learned to ride a bike. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You learned on, you know, as close to grass as you possibly could because you were falling, right? That well, was- we're <laughs> teaching yeah yeah well and i felt bad about it because he like he's it's long story short for the most part aside from him having to learn to ride a bike with me he's pretty much just yeah so and quarantine yeah yeah and i feel like i'm having network issues which could be also because of uh 
the kids, right? You know, too many people trying to use the internet right now. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's so can you hear me? Okay. Ken. I can hear you just fine, but I definitely can see that we're cutting out here and there. So, yeah, that's, I, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that that's me. Sorry about that. I'll see if I can rectify oh, it here as we talk a little bit. Could yeah. very well be me as well. I don't know. Whatever. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think like, yeah, we, I don't know how you're holding up with this quarantine thing, but like, um, Oh man, it really sucks, you know, cause you don't have any human contact like in person other than like, luckily I have a family, but you know, if I was alone, man, that would be really, yeah, it'd be rough. Yeah. I, I, like we seem to be doing okay, right? I, definitely the more social ones in our house are having a difficult time. But I, I know we joke about it, but like working from home for so long, like this is kind of my norm. And so it's life hasn't changed that much for me outside of, hey, we don't go out to eat or we don't go to the store quite as much as we as we did in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, whatever, I'm doing my work. Uh, the hard thing that I've had is that uh, people that I'm working with, like on contracts and things like that, that usually work in an office now want to do, you know, Zoom calls and, you know, they, they want to do video calls all day long. And I'm like, no, guys, right? Like, just because you're used to people doing drive-bys and wanting to chat face-to-face, I'm like, I, I got stuff that I've got to get done. So if anything, I feel like I'm busier than I normally am, which is weird. Because everybody's talking about, oh, well, you now you have all this time at home to read books, and and I'm like, oh no, that's not that's not what I'm experiencing at all. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this luxurious life of book reading, I know, book I'm learning. Like, I wish, right? Like, I'm, I'm like, if I could just turn off, you know, every the things that people need, I, and it's not a crappy place to be as a you know as a consultant as a contractor because you know obviously I've got to work to bring money in, so it's. You know, it's fine, but I just, yeah. I've actually found myself working more because I'm like, because normally I'm training like, you know, for, because, you know, I, I don't do, you know this, most people don't know this. I don't do just like, I'm not like just doing jujitsu. I'm, you know, competing. So I do like a lot of training for that and uh, weight training. Yeah. Like in the mornings, like three times a week, it's weight training. And then one morning is yoga. And then, at night, I do most days a week uh, jujitsu, yeah. um, almost every day. So now I don't have any of that. So now it's like getting to tackle things like teaching my son to ride a bike and like, you know, just things that we kind of like been putting off a little bit. A lot of like uh, cleaning up the house and all that stuff um, yep. and organizing things. And then like still having some, um, just being, I guess maybe just being at home and in the office, like I tend to want to work more. And so now I'm like, you know, yeah. trying to make more balance there too. So it's like, I don't know, man, it's crazy I'm trying to find a balance. <laughs> we'll, so. we'll, we'll figure it out. By the time you figure it out, then the, the world will go back to normal and you'll have to readjust. Right? That's the... Man, let's hope. Let's hope. I'm sure it will, but I hope it's sooner rather than later. I think we all do. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
But anyway, anyway, <laughs> so uh, I, I was gonna I was gonna say there's there, there's this apparently there's this new conference in Hawaii, right? Nah. <laughs> it got rescheduled to to uh, you know November apparently, or they just scheduled the first one from what I understand. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, you mentioned it last night that it's going to be November instead of January, which yeah. uh, actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because in January. In February, people want to get out of because it's like post holiday season. So you kind of want to get some sunshine, but that probably means that it's harder to book the resort for them in January or might be harder, might be pricey. I don't know. But then, like, uh, you don't like want to do it in December, obviously. So, yeah, November seems like a good time to go do. I would. I want to go in November for sure now, especially now. Like I already love the conference, but now, man, I really want to get out of the house. So ready to travel again. Yeah. And that's, I, well, I'm totally, well, November works out better for me than the other schedule did as it was right. Based on the kids and everything else. So yeah, looking forward to it for the first time. Right. We'll see. Yeah. You're supposed to be at Disney this week. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Kids are on spring break this week. And so we went from, you know, doing the, the homeschool thing to now there's, there, there's no structure to their days, right? Days as it is for, for this week. But yeah, we were supposed to be down in California. We're going to do beach and Disney and all that went out the window. So, so we're trying to find other things to do. So. Yeah. yeah. And I actually think Disney said they're not reopening for like, in cause originally it was a short, just like most places it was short term and now they're just like indefinitely. Yep. So, yeah. but I mean, yeah. as soon as this all goes away, business as usual, hopefully. Yeah. So, but, um, yep. Yeah, man. So, At least it's so cool. have you checked out tiger King? That's been like the big, <laughs> it's like, it's either COVID or tiger King. And I if have not seen it. <laughs> oh, you have seen it. How many episodes are you in? We just Honestly, let's just talk night. about Tiger King. <laughs> Tiger King edition. Oh my God, dude. That is so insane. If you've not, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but like, cause my wife was saying, you need to go watch Tiger King. You need to go watch Tiger King. So finally I'm like, well, fine. I'm, you know, I'm not going anywhere. It's a, it's a documentary. King. Sure. Whatever. Right? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. She's like, so I started watching the first episode and I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. You know, like what, this is a real people's lives. Like this seems insane. And then that, that just is that first episode is just like a slight taste of the insanity that you'll see over the next seven or eight episodes. It is just bananas. And by oh, the yeah. way, Carol definitely killed her husband. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> hey, I mean, tigers, right? You know, anyway. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, you just have to put sardine oil on them. Yeah. And stares at the camera <laughs> and like <laughs> has this like wink, you know? It's crazy. Uh, yeah. That, that, if you haven't seen it, go watch No, no, it. I have. I mean, I you have. have. You have. But yeah. I'm saying anybody that's watching, if you haven't seen it, like, go see it. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't uh, Like... I don't know. It speaks to, I, there's a lot of kind of business parallels there too. Like you and I have been in situations where that whole cult of personality takes over, you know, where, Hey, it, it's not, it's not about like the business or the tigers. And and that's the thing is right. Yeah. It's about the tigers for a little while, but eventually it's just about the crazy goings on of this industry. Right. That's, that's really what it is. 
and you know each of the different zoos or whatever have their you know their crazy ass leader I, I don't know how else to describe it right mm -hmm. and, and you know the people that work for them like do it for free or they're interns like it's this weird weird relationship yeah I just i'm like or for hey, meth whatever yeah yeah or for like they're the dealer so if you want your daily hit you have to go feed the tigers i guess i don't know well we definitely have seen like that cult-like personality running a you know what is supposed to be a business and becomes like a like uh it's your like lifestyle type deal and yeah know, yeah it, it becomes an extension of their personality right right and, exactly you know they're wrapped up in the yeah the representation of this business as part of them yeah it's it's a strange yeah but it's and there definitely, I, had, you know, I definitely had like flashbacks to you know certain people in certain situations so. <laughs> man that was it's such a fun it's a, such a fun show to it's such a like crazy documentary to watch and then like yeah i i man i don't want to ruin it for people so it's, it's gonna, a train wreck it's okay. just a train wreck <laughs> it's just a train wreck like the entire which is why it's so fascinating and it hit just right at the right time because people <laughs> don't have anything else to do dude netflix I, nailed the timing it totally did <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. They were very smart. Uh, man. Oh. Yeah. But anyways. So I guess we well, should talk about some security stuff at some point. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do an AppSec King documentary at some point, right? That's yeah, what, there we yeah. go. <laughs> Definitely have lots of people in interview for that one. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Sweet. So first which, topic. Which thing do you want to talk about? Yeah. Oh, yeah now that we're 15 minutes in. Yeah. Um, let's start with the votes stuff. Um, and we are going to have Logical. We're going to have Stefan back on. He's part of the team over at uh, Trail of Bits that actually did the assessment. Or I'm not sure if he did the assessment, but was one of those that looked at votes uh, for Trail of Bits. But this last week, it came out that they were kicked off of the HackerOne bug bounty platform. First organization or the first company that was ever signed up and then got kicked off. Um, and from what I understand, right? Yeah. If you follow that link that Ken has posted up there, um, actually I need to pull it up really quick, <clears throat> but from, from what I understand, it was, it had to do with the relationship uh, or the response that they had to bug bounty researchers submitting bugs. I know you have opinions on this because you help run a bug bounty program, Ken, as far <laughs> as, you know, how to interact with researchers. But it, it just feels like they didn't, they basically claimed that the security researchers were in it to just do away with online voting, right? Is that is that the basis of what the article says? Um, yeah, so it's pretty much like, where to begin? So some of the things people are upset about um, with or were except, except the things people did not like about how votes around their program were um, a couple things. One was like a very adversarial, supposedly very ad adversarial response to the researchers that were submitting bugs. Um, a lot of like, no, that's not really a finding. One person mentioned that they had uh, submitted a critical finding, which was labeled as such as well on 
uh, Trail of Bits report that um, Votes had commissioned, or maybe I'm not sure, actually. I don't want to say that because I'm not sure if Votes commissioned. It looked like they, that they had, though, because they were like uh, assessments, you know, that they had performed on their um, software, which, by the way, is like a blockchain-y, supposed to be secure way of doing voting. I don't know if we, I think we mentioned that. I think you mentioned that, but um, yeah, I, I don't think I really did. I just jumped straight in. So votes is a mobile application that is, uh, that runs on what iOS and Android, right? Or is it, I think uh, it is both. both yeah, I think it is both. Yeah. That sh is supposed to allow mobile voting, right? So you're supposed to get some sort of a code, be able to insert it. So very similar to what we do with, you know, like, mail vote by mail right you've got hey you get a ballot you fill it out you send it in like it in in practice it feels like a very you know it feels like a use for blockchain right so everything's signed by the app and but the they've sold it to a couple of it's been used for a couple of primaries so far right um right. so both the the rnc and the dnc so the republican national committee and democratic national committee have have commissioned or they've paid votes to actually run the primaries or, you know, be a portion of it in certain states. I, I'm not exactly sure which ones it is, but that's where it's popped up that people are like, hey, if this isn't secure, guess what? People could change votes, you know, it, or you know, still an election, right? That's the whole fear of online voting as it is, is somebody could still an election. And so uh, they opened up the bug bounty program now, like one of the things in the article that it mentions is that the bug bounty program, they opened it up, but it seems to be more of a, uh, a publicity play than an actual, hey, we wanted people that, we wanted researchers to find vulnerabilities. And that's in the antagonistic way that they responded to the researchers. Yeah. Um, well, and by the way, so, they did hire trail events. Yeah. They had, okay. Uh, yeah. So and, after that. and MIT reported, and it was MIT or researchers from MIT that had reported a vulnerability that matched up with um, what was in a, a Trail of Bits report to okay. votes. And um, they were basically told it's, well, and that's part of the problem is a lot of stuff is out, like considered out of scope or um, outside what their safe harbor, well, I don't want to call it safe harbor because it's more about like, because safe harbor, safe harbor is more like, uh, to protect you um, when, oh my God. So it has to do with multiple companies. Like we deal with Safe Harbor as well uh, or multiple organizations. Um, but anyways, like their, uh, their scope sucked. Um, they had horrible protection for the researchers. They had actually uh, supposedly referred a researcher to the FBI um, or sent the FBI knocking on this researcher's door um, so between the, the scope being hostile towards researchers, diminishing the results of the finding saying things were out of scope. Um, yeah, it was just, and I guess a lot of the things that MIT researchers found, they actually, uh, didn't report through the bug bounty program. They went through, uh, CISA, um, okay. and I guess that they just, they had a lot of like concerns, um, legal concerns, and then, uh, yeah, I guess like votes, um, I'm trying to f find the quote, but uh, I'm, they, they had changed. I'm not, I'm trying to figure out how they changed the, the, um, 
the safe harbor protections, but I guess the like wording had been changed. Um, anyways, Hacker One's been around since 2012, and this is the first time anyone's been booted off their uh, platform, which is. I feel like you have to you have to screw up pretty bad to be booted off that platform. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's they've been around. That was it in the article. They've been around for eight years, right? They've never kicked a company off. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's companies that have moved away from HackerOne, right? Decided it wasn't worth it or whatever, and have you know gone that way rather than, but actually kick you know HackerOne kicking a company off its platform, like yeah, it just feels. There's there's more there's more to yeah it's Phil scummy there's more to the story than is necessarily in that article um, if you've ever done any bug bounty programs right or interacted on either side of that that you know researcher company um, relationship you know that it there 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 is kind of a trust that's involved there as far as hey the the company itself is trusting the researchers to, you know, act in good faith and all that kind of thing. But it, it goes the opposite way as well, that the researchers are expecting the company to take them seriously and actually respond in a professional manner, right. You know, as much as possible and, you know, actually, you know, act on what's, what's there. So yeah, it, it just feels like the whole thing fell apart. And I don't know, I, like I'm wondering if people are actually going to join their, private bug bounty because that was it right there they're starting their own program now apparently because yeah, they got kicked apparently. off hacker one good luck with that yeah good luck with that yeah and like oh man i'm reading so they had actually updated the, the safe harbor after referring this person to like close to it looks like following having referred uh, a researcher to the fbi um they had yeah updated those and like they worked with, they've worked with, um, this votes app has worked with, uh, West Virginia. If this is true anyways, West Virginia, Denver, Colorado, Utah County, Utah, and both Jackson and Umatilla Tia counties in Oregon. Interesting. To pilot, yeah. yeah. To pilot the, man, this is crazy. Like, I mean, I, I think that they, one, one thing they had mentioned was that, uh, I think one of the critical vulnerabilities that had been dropped was actually in a non in a part of their app that doesn't, it's not getting used. I don't remember what it was, um, but still like, yeah, it's, I guess it's just been a really, well, it, it can be used. It's just not being used. Um, yeah. It's, the whole thing is just like insane to me. Um, Cause I've just never seen a company get booted off. So it's like, what do you have to do? <laughs> I mean, they, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just slow bug bounty responses. You know what I mean? It's gotta be like some serious yeah. uh, drama going on there, but yeah. Well, especially cause that, that all came out what, like the end of February, like it, it that's a quick, pretty quick turnaround, but they actually yeah. got booted off. So yeah. Well, and the main thing is like, this is kind of important considering, you know, in-person voting isn't exactly a, a great option right now. So having this uh, online, which speaking of anecdotally, I can honestly say, well, actually we pulled out some metrics for last week, but man, bug bounty submissions, I've seen a slew of them. So if anyone's wondering, hey, are there more 
bug bounty submissions now that people are stuck at home anecdotally and for our program specifically i can absolutely say that's the case which i'm not complaining about at all we want people to submit but um definitely seeing an increase in uh, submissions no and i can like i can confirm that as well because i'm helping a couple smaller companies right that have private bug bounties uh through through the platforms through hacker one and bug crowd that have just a limited amount of researchers and you know for the past six months they'd have one you know a, a couple of vulnerabilities here and there that actually get reported but within the last couple of weeks i've seen a market like crap increase of hey guess what it looks like you know at least of their you know small pool of researchers they're really starting to dig in and they're finding some stuff right and it's like it's interesting to actually watch but i i know that's the reason right it all started right around that that weekend after everyone started to self-isolate and quarantine themselves all of a sudden like there's been more submissions and there's been a lot more activity there than than was before which is not surprising to me right like you've got all these people that typically go into an office and now they're at home and they're on the bug bounty platforms submitting bugs so hopefully it'll help secure stuff yeah it's cool yeah if i had more time maybe i'd go do some of that too right you have all the time in the world, apparently. Now, that yeah, you're apparently, quarantine, yeah, now, now that I'm in quarantine. Yeah. Well, um, so yeah, I mean, I think like from this is outside of the votes app. Just like talking about mobile voting, it's always scared the crap out of me. And I think anybody that reviews enough code or and like does enough assessments can feel unsure about that. As like, I don't. I know you're not supposed to say it's impossible to secure software or anything like that. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that like, I mean, it's weird. Like we're, you know, we both work doing some defense, but also as professional hackers, like our whole thing is that there should always be a way, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's like a, yeah, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think I'd trust. I don't think I'd trust online voting, but yeah, I don't think I'll ever trust online voting. But yeah, I mean, it feels like there's got to be a trust system on the back end to actually validate that, and that's that's where it falls down, right? Like for a long time, though, right? Uh, stuff like single sign-on really scared me as well, um, right? Hey, I'm going to trust somebody else to validate my identity, and you know, we figured out that process as far as like you know, SAML handoff and all of that that goes along with it. So I think there is a a path forward with online voting, but I don't think we've cracked that nut yet as far as how it needs to be handled and how that validation needs that like that that the, the whole authorization step of hey, I have to I have to send somebody like I have to give someone a code to actually go and vote, right? And if someone can steal that code, how do I verify that the person that is logging in is actually the person that I want that that should be voting? That's the question that we have. I mean, we have the same issue with paper ballots, right? And with like vote by mail, because you you don't know who's actually filling out that ballot before they send it in. But at least in that case, you have a you know a physical ballot that's associated with one person or one person only. Um, and you can tie it back, like they make you sign the, the the envelope and all that kind of stuff. So technically, you can go back and ask them. There is a process to do that if there is a question. But with online voting, with like electronic over the internet, that becomes a eh. Like 
it just becomes a, a fuzzier thing. So, yeah, and I mean the, the votes company was like, oh, I guess their their approach with researchers or their thoughts to researchers like you're just trying to make it so that mobile voting uh, like never works. And it's like, man, that's the opposite of what they're trying to do. They're trying to give you vulnerabilities that you can fix, that you can like harden your tool. And that's what do you think the whole fucking point of opening a bug bounty program for is for? It's for people to like find your issues and explain them. It's not to ruin your business. It's because if they want to do that, they could go on the black market and sell those exploits if they're seriously that critical. You know, yeah. if they really wanted to, you could just, there's a new numerous other things you could do other than a bug bounty program. And, you know, they're reporting it to you through, through the program you set up. So it's like, um, people, yeah. people, man, people, people, people. Yeah. It's that, and the, and the whole targeted approach, right. I, I, I don't know if somebody was actually in there looking at that from, you know, a foreign, like we always talk about the nation state threat, right? Other nation states. Guess what? Most likely they're not going to be in your bug bounty program. They're not going to be reporting it to you. It's not going to be from MIT. They're just going to take that information and file it away so they can use it when, when the time comes. So yeah, make your product better, use it as is intended and let's all move on. Man, I feel like speaking of nation state, this isn't one of our topics for today. Okay. What was the, maybe we shouldn't even talk about it, but I feel like I'd seen something about China being chastised for performing nation state attacks as of right now um, against, I want to say Cisco Vulns or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I think it was like Cisco Vulns and trying to like, like several government hacking groups from China. And they're like, Hey man, this is a bad look right now. You know, given the state of the world, and now you guys are going to do this. But I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what they would want to do. I mean, that's the whole point, you know. Don't uh, be there's naive. another article. <laughs> like on, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, here we go. Just Chinese hackers hit Citrix. Uh, yeah, I'll post the link in the general chat and then YouTube. Yep. Yeah, that one was, it looks like that one was through March 11th is what they were saying. So it was, as everything was else was going on, they're still conducting their, which, which is not surprising to me, right? Like that's a, it's a quasi unit of this, the, you know, the Chinese army. <laughs> what, what do you, you expect them to stop, right? They're all working from home as well. Right? Yeah. They're self-quarantining. <laughs> I mean, that's their job. You know, they don't get paid unless they discover vulnerabilities and they keep doing what they're supposed to be doing. They do not I, give a shit other than to probably like, this is the perfect time to exploit it. Like they're not yeah. sitting there like, Hey, come on guys, let's go easy on them. Cause you know, COVID no, not at all. That's not at all. How's it going to go? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a couple other ones. There's another one on CD net that is, is similar to that. Right. Yeah, um, it says the lockdown may have slowed their efforts, but I like who really knows, right? It's it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those. I wasn't shocked to hear it, right? That it was still actually going on. Um, no, I don't know. No, no, yeah. not whatsoever. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it and I, and I question, right? Like, if 
if you're working on a security team at, at, okay, at Citrix, at Zoom, at any of these like large companies right now, you're probably hyper vigilant. Like your traffic has gone through the roof, but at the same time, right. Uh, you're probably, well, I would be watching out for this sort of thing. Like if I'm working on a sock for a bank or something like that, this sort of change in the environment and everyone going online is actually going to make me more hyper vigilant, and I'm going to be tuning rules. I'm going to be changing stuff. At, at least that's kind of my expectation of the people that run those different teams that they are going to be uh, at least taking it seriously. So, yeah, I, I mean, whether or not they get in, you know, it's a nation state actor, they probably will. Which actually takes us to the next topic that we have. It does. I was thinking about that. Yeah, um, about, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Okay, yeah. It, it, it's just where about, you're going with this. Yeah, about trends in access and what's actually been opened up online. So Shodan released a report, and we'll go ahead and post that link too, um, on changes in the internet surface, um, in internet exposure, based on everyone self-quarantining and companies attempting to enable remote work, right? So, yeah. Well, so that, that's, um, well, I think where you're, I, I've sounded like where you might be going is like um, essentially CISOs and uh, CISOs and CISOs and whatever, like they've probably got their hands full right now with, uh, like you said, being hyper vigilant, but also having to be hyper vigilant when companies that are not traditionally work from home are now transitioning from work to home or what I say, work from home. Jeez. Um, see the quarantine brain, man. Quarantine brain. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I guess that would create a lot more work, but it is interesting. Do you want to go over some of those stats with people? Because I think that's fascinating. Um, how the tax surface has changed since the pandemic lockdown or self-quarantine or shelter in place or whatever you want to. Yeah. So, so, so the most interesting one is the remote desktop port RDP. So uh, RDP is the protocol that you use um, for accessing a windows system, right? Either a server or a desktop remotely. And that port, like they've seen an increase in the last month. So since the beginning of this year, it's it's leapt from, it looks like about 3 million ports to like four and a half million that are actually open and out on the internet. Um, so it's like a 41, yeah, 41.5% increase in RDP exposure to the internet. Um, and RDP, if you know anything about it, there's always been there's a history of vulnerabilities with RDP. Uh, Microsoft obviously patches them, and it you know it's con it's this constant uh, cat and mouse game with hey, there's a vulnerability in RDP, people expose it, and then they jump back in. Um, but the other problem is that you have organizations that are out there that probably don't patch as regularly as they need to. And Microsoft's actually done a good job of pushing that out and making sure that people stay up to date. But even then, it's still it's still out there, right? And so, yeah, uh, like if you want to go pop some boxes, I guess <laughs> that's where you should start. Dude, eight percent of the results are vulnerable to Blue Keep. Oh, they are. Like a, yeah, eight percent of those results for the remote desk RDP stuff. 
either on port 3389 or 3388, since apparently people are... There's probably a Stack Overflow answer somewhere that says, change your port to 3388. Because apparently a lot of people have 3388 as their RDP port, like, to obscure. And But 8% of the results are, yeah, vulnerable to Blue Keep, which came out in 2019. I don't remember. I think it was, like, summer of 2019 or something. Yeah. So... Man. Yeah, it's interesting. And they've got like the VPN exposure in there as well. Um, but that doesn't seem like it's, I mean, it's definitely crept up again this year, right? But it can, it's kind of gone up and down. So it's not over historical levels. Um, it would be interesting to see this against SSH as well, right? The secure shell protocol. Um because I do feel like that's a way that people people do the same thing, um, mm. accessing you know. In, in that case, it's Linux systems, and not necessarily a GUI that they're accessing. But you know, yeah, I, I would this, expect that to creep up as well. This yeah. brings up another point because I had a conversation with a more junior person who was like, "Ask who is young young enough that this is their first sort of like." possible because let's be honest this is going to lead to some sort of recession and you know, it's already affecting our economy pretty terribly yeah it's like well you know what does that mean for security and it's like and i don't want to jinx anybody or anything like that and like i don't want to sound but what i did say was every time i've been through a recession um security is like if anything security becomes more of it's a weird thing in our field we become more necessary because of and this is why i was like going back to kind of making a joke about people being surprised that china's like nation state attacks are occurring now it's like no when things are bad is when like the attacks start that's when that's when you know there's more fraud people are distracted yeah yeah there's more fraud there's more scams there's more um nation state attacks there's more it's it's just yeah exactly it's it's a it's a good time to not, I mean, that sounds really, really callous, but it, and I'm just being, you know, just analyzing the situation as it is. It's a good time for an attacker to, you know, have at it. So anyways, my point was like, don't sweat, you know, because I am I try to mentor folks that are, you know, I think you and I both that are a little bit newer to the industry. And, and I was like, you know, I don't want to definitely like have a savings, make sure you, you know, take care of yourself and, um, and make sure you're set up for the future, but don't also sweat it that much because usually in these times, security becomes more important. At least that's been the case every time I've been through this. Um, One of these, I mean, not obviously COVID, but like, you know, like the housing market crash and things like that. You know, it's like, we'll be fine. 2012 was a down year too, um, especially with like oil, oil and gas was like really hitting the economy hard, fluctuating. And it's like, Anyways, I don't know. I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but yeah, I think no, the point I, is like now Now is a, like a time you'll see that stuff going. Well, yeah. I mean, you've even seen like an increase. I, I, I think it, there's a there's a certain desperation that, you know, humanity in general, like tends to latch on to the bad and like, and, and it's across the board, right? So it's, it's people that do that run the scams as well, but they, they see this as an opportunity to actually improve their situation. Right. So you think about some of the people that are sending out phishing emails and they're like, you know, the phishing calls and all that kind of stuff that goes on, you've seen a market increase in, Hey, we're going to use the fact that everyone's scared about COVID right now to 
uh, you know, to increase our business, right? And, and so the same thing's yeah. going to happen on the online world with, you know, with China and other places that are looking to take advantage of weaknesses and people's fear. Because there's always those that are out there that are going to do that sort of thing. So if anything, use it as an opportunity, like you're saying, to actually see what's out there and see how you can contribute to improve things for people that are unprotected, right? Uh, that maybe need to have a you know a dose of reality or give them someone to turn to that it can actually tell them, hey, guess what? No, you don't need to respond to that call. The IRS is probably not calling you about COVID-19, right? That kind of thing is, is pretty helpful. So. Man, I've seen a lot of that on Facebook too. Like uh, people that I know that are older, you know, about your age. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the, the older crowd, the older folks I know. Um, yeah. They, uh, yeah, they're posting that like, uh, don't respond to this scam and that scam. And a lot of it's like IRS, like you said, IRS based. A lot of, um, mm-hmm. apparently a lot of scamming going on right now. And again, like that's no surprise. I think if you've been in security and you've lived through these moments, uh, economically, economically, these moments, not like pandemic wise, but, um, you, yeah, you've seen this time and time again. It's just like, it's just the saddest thing. It becomes like, a uh, it, I would say in security job stability is usually pretty great during economic downtime. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to, uh, that's what I'm trying to say. And it sounds horrible and I really don't mean it to be, it's just what I've witnessed. So, yeah. And I mean, and not, not to take away from the people that, you know, have been laid off or lost their jobs. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, like, but, but like you, like we've been saying about the bug bounties where we've seen an increase in people reporting bug bounties, they, they're, you know, 10 years ago, there was not that avenue, right. In the 2008 crisis to turn and actually be like, Hey, you know what? Goldman Sachs just, you know, or whatever, right? Like they just laid a whole bunch of people off. Maybe I can go and try my hand at this for a little while until things balance out. Um, and so it, it feels like there's more avenues to actually dig in and maybe improve your skills if you are in that situation or reach out to one of us or, you know, I like I've been hearing about people looking for AppSec, AppSec positions and, and, you know, AppSec jobs. I've like hooked some people up as far as, hey, you should talk to this guy because I know he's looking for a job. And was working for a startup and the startup just went belly up because they couldn't afford to, you know, to go a month without whatever. Right. Right. So like there's those that are out there that are looking, if you know about jobs, I know that Rob was posting stuff, right? Like Rob Fuller. Yeah. He had an online, um, he was tweeting something about it. Hiring list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I can find it or if you can find it, whichever. Yeah. I can Um, find it. Yeah. No, like, um, so, yeah, and I just want to be clear because I don't want to. Yes, you're right. Like, definitely don't want to diminish anybody that's having a hard time because of this or like their situation. Um, that's not what I mean. I just mean that um, there are usually opportunities that present themselves as a result of the job market growth insecurity during down periods. That's, that's, and again, this is all anecdotal. I don't have stats to sit in front of you and, and show, but um, yeah, that's yeah. just my experience. So, um, yep. Uh, and I, I mean, I get, yeah. you know, the emails all the time, even now, even now, like about, you know, jobs that people are looking for. So yeah, if you, if you're in that situation, hit Seth or I up, maybe we can um, hook you up with some folks. So, um, yeah. 
Like, what's the silver lining? I don't want, I want to have like a positive moment. <laughs> we need more positive positivity. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I mean, like realistically, there's, there's work to do. There's people that are paying for that work still. And there's people that will help you, right? Um, yeah, I, I like, you know, jump into the channels. Like we can point you at at opportunities, we can point you at places that you can turn to. We can point you at learning resources. There's more, like I've been saying, is it seems like there's a renaissance in the availability of conference material that's on you know, like YouTube and like, you know, really interesting talks. Um, everything's gone virtual. Like it was starting to go virtual any, anyway, but it's pushed way more into, hey, we want to get this out there and actually share it out, right? Like I know you and I have been talking about doing a secure code review like course online as well, just to see how it would actually run and if it's a viable you know pattern for us to to teach others and to to help spread that out. So it's not just hey, you have to be in person to learn this stuff. It's all available. Which is interesting that you mentioned that because there was a tweet to our account. Um, which was a little was kind of weird because we we're the people that were on this um, tweet were like Bug Crowd, Security Tube, Pen Tester Lab, Burp Suite, Vuln Hub, OWASP. Traditionally, like teaching entities, and then we're included on it. This podcast um, said it was basically asking yeah. about that. Are you planning on? <laughs> Are you planning on online sessions during the quarantine days? And I think we had talked about, yeah, possibly. I mean, we're also like working on, and since we can't travel and deliver the course, we're also writing the, the material down, trying to, to put together an actual book on it. Um, yep. So you got this like need for it. And maybe that's what we'll do. Maybe we'll just like teach some people how to do this stuff yeah, or how we do this stuff. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think it makes sense, right. Uh, to, uh, to share that out. Right. Like instead of, us going on site to help people at this point, we actually can, yeah, yeah, put that all out online and everyone is doing it. Like, I, I, you know, the, that, the first few conferences there, like a week after the, the quarantine hit, right? Like, like the B-side Salt Lake cities. Um, and I know there's, there's others that are up and coming and, you know, maybe we should start a page or something like that. Just that just lists out upcoming, you know, virtual conferences would probably be a good thing to to maintain, so that so people have a resource to actually go to. Um, because I know there's a lot that's online, probably, probably places that we weren't going to be anyway, um, and talks that we maybe wouldn't see. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, like you know, we'll start tweeting that stuff out. See if we can't actually put something together because it would. It, I think it would be helpful for people. Yeah, I think we can use that blog uh, that we were trying to set up and put together as well to like also help thousands. Oh, um, let me put this. Yeah, I see you posted the link for the pandemic hiring list. Yeah, so. it's a little, uh, it, it's not very long right now, but I know we just tweeted out about it. Um, but that's a great place to go and add something. Uh, you know, you can tweet at Mobix, uh, to Rob Fuller, and he'll add to that list as well. Um, if you know about positions or, you know, if you're looking, you know, hit people up on Twitter, right? Like, I, you know, as much as we bag on kind of the the InfoSec Twitter that it gets a little crusty at times, um, there's a lot of good people that are out there trying to do good things and they'll help out. So, Cool. Yeah. Um, sweet. So 
So that takes yeah. us to, well, okay. So watch out what you're exposing, right? <laughs> we kind of got off topic there or whatever yeah. on topic. It's, it's our there topic. is no topic. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Very cool. Um, there feel like there was one other thing we were going to mention. I don't remember. I can't remember anymore. Um, I, well, oh yeah. Other... You were going to mention the, Oh, go ahead. I was yeah, going to yeah, say, yeah. I, I pulled up the links here. So I know what you're, what yeah. the other, yeah. So there was a new tool and testing methodology that came out of OWASP this week. Um, it's the OWASP firmware security testing methodology. Uh, and th this is actually one area that I haven't done a lot in. Like I know it at DEF CON, there's the IoT village, right? The Internet of Things village that people can go to and learn how to dump firmware, test it, actually find vulnerabilities in, you know, IOT devices and the the methodology for doing that, um, but they, you know, I, I'm not sure the team that put this together. Like it's it's very new to me, and I haven't reviewed it yet. Um, but they've put together a methodology on how they go about finding vulnerabilities in Internet of Things objects, right? Um, Part of that is within, so it, it came from the scripting XSS. And is that Aaron? I can't remember. Maybe, maybe I can't remember either. Else. Yeah, I don't know. Feels um, like, let's see, somebody that we should know. Uh, I'm pretty sure that is. I'm pretty sure that's Aaron Guzman. Yep, it is. Aaron Guzman. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. So, uh, like uh, that, that gives it more credibility. That's like we've known Aaron for a number of years, right? Um, yeah. But he wrote he wrote an application um, and then for a deliberately insecure firmware based on Open WRT called IoT Goat. That's actually um, a part of this. And it looks like he is the one that is running the um, IoT, the OWASP Internet of Things project, right? Man, we should have Aaron on the podcast. Yeah, we really should. Um, it looks like he's working with Dan Niesler on that as well. So that would be, yeah. I know that, uh, you know, this last summer or two summers ago is when they came out with that IoT top 10 but this is the first right, uh, testing methodology that I've seen. And I always like to see that progression, right? If it's just a top 10 list and there's no testing methodology that goes along with it, feels like a little bit of a waste from a you know, blue team perspective um, because it's like you're not teaching, you're releasing a list of vulnerabilities or of you know, weaknesses in applications. But if you're not actually talking about how to find those, uh, it's less useful, right? Yeah. So I, I'm kind of on a soapbox about it, whatever, right? So no, um, no, no. Um, but if, yeah, so we posted that link up there. Uh, you should go check it out. Um, I'm sure it's pretty interesting to see the different pieces that are in there. Um, it, it looks very similar to the like mobile testing guidelines, right? Or the mobile testing methodology as far as, hey, how do you like gather information? Um, sometimes I start to question whether or not we need extra methodologies, but uh, depending on the nuances of the target uh, application or the target from or the target system, uh, it it does make sense at times. So, like extracting from the file system in a 
IoT device is not something that is the same as, you know, dumping code for a web application. So I get it, right? Or an application, like a mobile application. So, yeah. So anyway, take a look at it. Could be interesting. If it's not, it's not, right? You know, or if it's... <laughs> Take a look at it, and if it's useful in your daily life, that's that's what it comes down to. And if it's not, make sure you trash them on Twitter. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. <laughs> Submit to the project. Give feedback. Give feedback to the contributors. Because yeah, Aaron's Aaron's cool people. So uh, we should have Aaron on the podcast, like uh, for sure. But yeah, yeah like uh, don't to talk to don't about go trashing anyone. <laughs> our viewers don't do that. I like to think our viewers are above that. True. Well, you know, we'll see. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other, other than that, I don't like, I know we don't have any other links that we necessarily pulled out there. No, you had mentioned the NQL, uh, oh. Burp GraphQL plugin was released, which is cool. But like, uh, I'm wondering how, uh, GraphQL usage is going at a large, it sounds like that's becoming more of a trend, which makes sense. Um, yeah, I, but, I see uh, more and more of it. Um, I like the interesting thing about that NQL plugin for Burp Suite is that it, like, it, it'll do the introspection query, right? And I know I'm di digging into specifics here, um, and it'll mm -hmm. generate requests based on the introspection query. Um, the issue that you've got with that is that the there's no guarantee that that query that it builds will actually like pass authorization and authentication or any of that, right? It's just like, and it's random data that it's putting in there. So it's like, oh, this is an integer. I'll put a random integer in this value so that you can run this query. Um, so depending on the logic behind the scenes that you know GraphQL or the implementation of GraphQL from that organization, it may or may not be very useful. Right. Uh, the successful GraphQL testing that I've done has been very, very targeted, right? Um, hey, I know that like I've used this application. I see the GraphQL traffic going back and forth and I'm replaying that traffic using Intruder as opposed to, hey, I'm just going to build something based on the introspection query. It's just a very difficult uh, technology to automate, right? I, it, like, it, And not to take away with what these guys have accomplished because that is a useful uh you know, it's going to be a useful tool moving in the future. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where it goes next and what else they can implement with it. Uh, but if it is just based purely on introspection and then throwing things at it, we'll see, right? I, I need to play with it a little bit more. But I know you guys are heavy users of GraphQL at, at GitHub. Whoa, whoa, man. No, yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. It's um, publicly our API. We have a GraphQL yeah. API that you can query. And uh, yeah, man, it's pretty awesome. We've gotten some good submissions uh, from the bug bounty program on GraphQL. Um, not so much any time recently, but like, you know, when I first started and it was like kind of becoming more of a thing, basically early on and in, in the release of GraphQL. But anyways, uh, GraphQL is pretty cool, man. Like it just uh, makes it easy for services to talk to each other and get the same amount of data in like a uniform way versus, you know, a REST API, which is very much based off of the documentation that you may or may not be provided about the REST documentation and how it takes 
data and how you authenticate to it and all that stuff. And GraphQL, I feel like just makes it a bit easier. But um, at the same time, I'm with you. When you look at the GraphQL vulnerabilities I've seen, they're very, they are very targeted and they're also very, uh, for lack of a better word, weird. So like you might couple in, you might like change the query to couple in another query. I've seen that before. So you've got your regular query and then you put another query on top of it. And for some reason, like some logic flaw allows you to see more with that second query than you should. Or there's been like um, undocumented. I mean, it's just, it's a whole, like, it's a lot of, you need. It's a, it's a lot of business logic flaws. Yeah. That's, that yeah and and implementation like graphql kind of implementation authorization boundary issues um are ones that i've seen all the time where it's like hey like they may have checked the authorization at you know level one but they didn't on level four or something like that right right it's it's very difficult for a scanner to to i i mean in general like automated systems are very bad at authorization flaws because they just don't have the there's no way for them to know whether or not that should be accessible. So, yeah. Well, and the other the other thing with uh, with like GraphQL in general, so it's like you said, it's the abilities are so abilities meaning permissioning gets a little weird. Automating the testing gets weird, and so if anybody's not familiar, also with the other part of what you said, which is introspection. The whole introspection bit is essentially similar to like a WSDL with, would you say like similar to like a WSDL with soap or like a swagger file with um, uh, uh, swagger with um, like rest, for instance. Yeah. Only the, the only the, I feel like the difference is, is though, is that like that's WSDLs and, you know, um, documentation that's more of like, somebody releasing information on what's available. This is like you querying GraphQL itself to do some introspection on itself. And then it tells you all the stuff that's available. So what I guess why I bring that up is that what, what Seth is saying is that you can run this uh, introspection query, if it's still allowed, which most of the time it is on GraphQL, then it tells you like all the different ways to query um, and what data to query on that GraphQL endpoint. And then it, you know, like whether or not you meant to expose that as something that like people can see, you know, who knows? So, yeah. Well, yeah, it's very interesting. And I mean, along those, those same lines, it's very, it's very custom to the organization that you're dealing with. Right. I, I mean, I guess any restful endpoint is, but the implementation, there's no kind of standard implementation with GraphQL. It's, Hey, you know, there, there's an introspection query and then we have all this data that you can ask us for right? yeah. or updates or mutations that you can perform um, on that data itself. And it makes it easy to consume and make those changes from an automated perspective, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy to test what's available th- and there. Um, right. So like a, a GraphQL c- crawler, would is a trust me like at, at, at me and Justin and like on on our team over at Redpoint we've tried right to create a custom custom crawler for GraphQL and it's not the kind of thing that's just trivial um, 
because of all the options that are available. So what these guys did is kind of that first layer of, hey, we've got an introspection query. We know that we can query for like an address based on a name. So right. here's a random name that you throw in there and it should return an address. But if that doesn't exist, or maybe you don't have access to it at this level, you're just gonna move on and not necessarily try out the other levels and you know nest queries and things like that that you can do with GraphQL um, without someone actually interacting with it and implementing that and formatting those queries how they need to be formatted. So yeah, it, it's it, it's a hard problem to solve. Like if anybody's done any GraphQL testing, they'll know that. Um, but I mean, another tool in your quiver is always a good thing to have. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Nothing much more to say on that one. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's um, just yeah. another tool to have. Um, but yeah, like I think still manual is. It's just like everything, man. We've got tools out the yin yang, but manual. It always comes back to manual. Uh, Again, yeah, going manual. circling back to labor in you know security. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously we we have the need for people. So, yeah. um, cool. Yeah, man. I don't know what else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we've been going for an hour, so it's yeah. you know it's it, it's all good. Um, if there's a specific topic, I you know we're we're gonna space out guests a little bit more um, on the podcast just so we have time to actually dig into some of these things. So if there's specific topics that you would like us to cover and you're listening, please, please jump into Slack or, you know, DM us on Twitter, send us an email, um, hit us up through the website and let us know what it is you would actually want us to, to go over. Um, I, I mean, Ken and I are not above talking about cross-site scripting and our opinions on cross-site scripting um, or, you know, actually digging into the details of any of that if there is interest out there for us to do it. So, um, and we can always just bring up like latest instances that we're actually seeing in the news. Cause a lot of times we don't necessarily bring that up. Right. Uh, we see a lot of, we see a lot of vulnerabilities. Um, there's common ones that are out there. Uh, but if people would like to dig into the specifics of that, please let us know. So. Yeah, to add to what you're saying, we had feedback that people like the guests, but they also like when um, it's just us as well. So to what to what Seth said, basically, we're trying to do right now, we've got it mapped out so that it's every other week, there's a guest. So if you like that, let us know if you don't like that. Also, let us know. Um, but yeah, I think for now, we're just going to try and do one episode where it's just Seth and I and then the next week, try and get in a guest um, just so that it like... You know, so like Seth said, we can dig in a little bit more, talk a little bit more about actual tech talk stuff. Um, besides that, Seth, the only other thing that I would mention is I haven't been able to send out any swag because of this COVID crap. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I should say I could probably mail it out, but I won't because I'm not a psychopath trying to mail things to people in the uh, middle of a pandemic. Um, anywho... <laughs> So if you haven't gotten anything and you should, right, especially, you know, past guests, let us know uh, and we'll put you on the list to actually when we mail stuff out uh, again, we will we'll get you a T-shirt and whatever else we've got. Right. So. Cool. 
Sweet. Uh, well, catch appreciate up with you since this is like yeah. the one time we get to really catch up. Yeah, exactly. Where it's actually dedicated time as opposed to, Hey, what's up, man? Yeah. Yeah. And then like two hours later, I'll, I'll say something or two hours later, you'll say something and it's very async. This is nice. Yep. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for joining today. Find us on Slack, Twitter, whatever else and stay home, stay safe. We'll see y'all next week.